Hi, and welcome to Matt Holman Talks Mental Health, the podcast where I have the opportunity to sit down and chat to amazing humans about their journeys and stories with mental health. For this episode, I'm so happy to introduce Guy Shahar to the conversation. Welcome, Guy. Hello. Hello, welcome. It's lovely to have you with us as well. Um, so as I would always do, just a very brief introduction as to how we came about to this episode. Um, and then I'll let you do a little bit of an introduction to yourself, let people know a little bit about what you do. Um, that'd be great. And then we'll get into a conversation about the big stories and, and everything we want to cover in this episode as well. Um, so Guy has been introduced to me through one of my colleagues, actually, who met with Guy and uh, has had conversations with him. And it's been lovely to sort of uh, get to hear a, an alternative perspective about guy and his work and what he's doing and now to obviously sit down with you and and to have this conversation so it's great to be here I'm so happy and we've had the chance to sit down and to to record this episode so guy I'll let you tell people a little bit more about what you do um, and who you are what I do I actually do two things I run a charity called transforming autism um, which is about uh, as, as you know reframing autism and challenging conventional conceptions of what it is and challenging the idea that it's an impairment and something bad and, and putting forward an empowering perspective on it, but also working with very young autistic children at an age where, you know, because autism comes with a lot of anxiety, not because of the autism itself, but because of the child not being understood and not being responded to in a way that makes them feel affirmed and makes them feel safe, actually. And it's about helping the, the, the child, but also equipping the parents with the tools to, to respond to their child in a way that builds these strong relationships. That's what we're about as a charity. I also am a, an energy healer and um, I work in a, um, you know, a, a business called Heartful Healing, where I, I help people. I say I help people to um, live to their true potential. Amazing. And, and I'm sure we're going to delve in deeper into a couple into both of those elements, of course. Um, the key point of these conversations, of course, is, is understanding a little bit about how you got to where you are and, and why you're so passionate about this. And, you know, as everybody from probably understand, you know, this is, is going to cover a lot around sort of autism and, and understanding more about autism, which for me, as a parent of somebody who is on the autistic spectrum, who was diagnosed at 17, I'm really intrigued and I'm really fascinating and I just want to learn a bit more. And Guy, I'm going to throw that to you to, you to start with. If you want to just tell us a little bit about that journey and, and sort of where, you, where you've been and, and where you are and why you got there. I, I guess with the journey with autism, um, it sort of began or the most obvious place to begin the story, at least, is uh, with my son, yeah. who was uh, born in 2009 uh, when he was uh, about one. Actually, we noticed that uh, he was struggling a little bit. You know, he'd been a very happy baby. His development had been a bit slow, but apart from that, he'd been absolutely fine. Um, but, you know, when he was one, he started forgetting the words that he'd learned. He started um, going backwards in many errors. He, used to, he, he lost the ability to eat. He lost his um, uh, independence in, in many ways. Um, and uh, he lost all communication with us slowly, slowly over a period of about four or five months. Um, he went from being a really, really happy, connected, joyful child to being someone who sort of almost resented any any attempt to communicate with him and he was very distressed all the time um so he was having these really long meltdowns and you know nothing nothing could you know he'd cry himself to sleep after several hours he'd wake up screaming again and we were just we were just in, in a state we, we just didn't have any idea what to do about this and um uh i won't go into our experiences with the medical services but anybody who's been in this position well we'll yeah. know that we, we don't need to go into details about that it's clear 
Um, so we, we actually ended up opting out of the health service because it wasn't helping us at all and just looking for something. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there which really doesn't seem very convincing, doesn't seem very helpful in any way. The one thing we found that did was was um, a clinic in the in a village in the north of Israel, actually. And we actually ended up going there. We, we did an intensive um three-week program there and a lot of work following on from that when we got home over a period of years um but essentially the principles were about um you know similar principles to, the, to what our charity is based on now which were to um really understand the child create an environment around the child where they feel safe and where strong relationships can be built and you find that when you do that so much else opens up so many of the things that are considered difficulties for autistic children are no longer difficulties because because they're not constantly being triggered by being misunderstood and and you know just frustrated in everything that they want to communicate and they want to achieve yeah. so um that was you know that's that's the my first time i ever became conscious of autism yeah. um it eventually read, led to me writing a book um, about our, our journey and, and what had happened. I mean, the result of the work was that he is now a 13 year old, very happy child. He still has, you know, he's still, he's still autistic. So yeah. he still has sensitivities. He still has a lot of anxieties. And those are, those are a combination of the, you know, the, the, the autistic mind, which thinks in a certain way, but that's not the cause of the difficulties. The difficulties are caused by anxiety, which have been caused by traumas that have accumulated at different times in his life, because we were able to create a great environment for him at home. Yeah. But the school environment was a different thing. I mean, he was doing so well. He ended up going to a mainstream school and he was he you know, it was a bit overwhelming for him at first, but he had such a good attitude and he put everything into it. And he really was really thriving there yeah. until there was a big bullying incident. Um, and it sort of just really knocked him back. And, you know, it was almost like for a while, it seemed like all the progress that we'd made had, had just vanished. Um, and it took a long, long time to get him transferred to an autism school where, you know, he's he's much happier there. Um, and he, uh, yeah, he, he's come out of himself a lot more, but he carries a lot of the anxiety from that time still. Um, and that led to the formation of the chat, the, the book. It led to my TED talk called yeah. The Beautiful Reality of Autism, and it led to the formation of the charity as well. Wow. And I find it all really fascinating in terms of, you know, taking where you've been on that journey and and doing that TED Talk. And I will link in your TED Talk because I think it's a fascinating uh, listen for anybody, for any parent as well, who is concerned about the development of their child at whatever age that could be as well. It's not just at those very young sort of one year age. It could be at any time you might start seeing some of those signs. Right. Um, I don't know how you feel, Guy, and, and I'm going to go into sort of the my, my sort of I don't want to go political, but I just want to give you my perspective, if that's OK around you know i think personally every child should be assessed on the autistic spectrum or around the diagnosis of you know potential autism at the earliest possible opportunities so we can adapt and evolve our ways of working with them that's my thoughts you know i i have a 17 oh, sorry i have a 20 year old daughter and at 17 she was diagnosed on the autistic spectrum with high functioning autism she was what we saw on the outside doing really well with life you know yeah. she was head girl at school she was doing well 
but we never had any thoughts that she was on the autistic spectrum. And even, even when we were told the words, we thought, no, that can't be true because she's 17 now. No, yeah. it's not possible. But then when we review everything and we go backwards and we look at her life and her journey, we could see the key markers of when things were changing. I don't know. I'm throwing that to you, Guy. I don't know what you want to do with it. But how do you feel about that in terms of sort of... Yeah, I mean, you, you'll you scare anybody in government who has to allocate funding. But, yeah, but, but we've got to. We've got to tell... It would be a great thing to do. Even yeah. better if the um, medical people could be aware and very conscious of the early signs of autism, yeah. which, which are there from the very earliest times of life. And if they're conscious of those and pick up on those at an early age... Then the testing might not be necessary because um, they, you know, they would pick up on most of those children, mm. and ultimately, of course, none of that would be necessary at all because we'd have a, a society that was, you know, really respectful of the idea of neurodiversity, and then it wouldn't matter whether someone was autistic or had any other neurological type. Um, they would be treated with because there's no special treatment for autism. Right. You treat everybody with respect. You build a society that's based on mutual uh, respect and value and, and love effectively and everybody thrives whether they're autistic or not whether they've got a different neurological type or not yeah well i i agree and i think that's something that's an aspirational thought isn't it we'd love to love to see this this view of the world in the future and it's <laughs> it's challenging isn't it and you know one thing that i see a lot in the work that i do and i don't really teach around neurodiversity i do more around sort of the mental health world and you know there's a there's a direct correlation and connection to it so let's not pretend it's sort of independent of each other um and you've said it anxiety for your son you know that's that's a real part of the mental health journey and and it's so important but but it's how do we help this is a key and I think with your charity from what I see you know this is a potential um, piece of what you are doing but we're adults right we're adults who are now learning about mental health and neurodiversity and, and actually a lot of us have never learned anything about it and and so so we're sort of we've lived a journey of our lives to wherever we are right now and for anybody listening as well you know you are of a certain age and you've been through many experiences how do we make people aware or better awareness of what's really going on and how we can make that, you know, vision of society a reality? How do we do that? <laughs> if I knew that, I'd be, yeah. it'd be brilliant. But I mean, well, we're you're doing it through this yeah. sort of yeah. podcast, through the work that you do. I'm trying to do it through the charity as well and, and through my TED talk and all of these sorts of things. Um, I guess it's people like people who've been through whatever they've been through themselves being willing to come on things like this and share their experiences I think that's that's the best we could do at this point yeah I you know what I think that's so true and I love that's why I love this 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 vehicle to be able to to get people to share their journeys their experiences um you know because the perspectives are really useful you know yeah. we can't just take one singular perspective of one person's life and go that's the same for everybody because it just isn't true yeah. and, I, and I think that's the big challenge isn't it so when we're talking about understanding mental health you know I feel very privileged because I sit and I listen to thousands of stories every year but not everybody does that and not everybody yeah. sees that and yes and, yeah. and I think that's what we have to continue to do isn't it the the currency of the world today is is built around people having the ability to tell their journey and their stories yeah. and be honest you know, and, and, and I think that's that's half the battle with some of this. It's mm -hmm. you know, people don't want to accept that there's anything wrong. You know, I, 
conversations i don't know how your conversations in your household go but you know conversations about normal lives and and having a normal family and you know this is a conversation i've had with my youngest daughter and she she really craves normal a normal family and you go well, okay so talk to me yeah. define draw me the picture of a normal family tell yeah. me exactly how that functions yeah. tell me what anxiety how do they manage their anxiety how do they i don't know what what's your what's your view of normality or normal is there anything for me i mean oh, no <laughs> no i mean it's almost like if if usually there's something behind that if somebody's saying that they i want i want a normal life what's behind it you know it's okay. almost like exploring what is it in this life that you're not happy with that you think would be solved by having this this elusive thing called a normal life and that would probably be a more more useful question a more productive question yeah um i don't know because it doesn't sound that attractive to me to live a normal life. What, I love that. No, not to me either. There's nothing, there's nothing, you know, no. there's nothing attractive of being normal unless you're unhappy with with something that's that's there at the moment. And it's possible to be unhappy with what's there at the moment without thinking that there's this magical thing called a normal life that yeah. that will solve it. Because what is what like you say, what is a normal life? And if you um if you uh think in a way that's informed by neurodiversity it doesn't even make sense to talk about a normal life because there isn't a norm there's just yeah. there's just lots of different people who are doing their best to to make their way through this life yeah it, and it is so true and it, and it does it does make it you know the the big challenge is we're all unique and we're all in a different way of seeing and interpreting the world around us and i know in your tedx talk you uh, you show a, a video that's it's really sort of insightful around the the sort of the stimulation in a, in a shopping uh, center you know for a young person on the autistic spectrum now of course it's not necessarily the same for everybody but there's a lot of you know things that people wouldn't even realize you know that are going on inside the the head or the the mind or the brain or the experience that the individuals are going through um can you talk a little bit about sort of your version of that, how how that would, you know, from from your son's perspective or from from your own perspective or however you want to present that? Of of what? Uh, the... Just about the stimulation and the oversensory issues. I, yes, I, I, I'm not, I don't like talking about overstimulation. Okay. Um, or being oversensitive. Yeah. Because, it, you know, there's a judgment there in that sort of language um why don't we talk about non-autistic people having blunted senses for example okay. you know why you know if every if everybody was hard of hearing you'd have a world where everything was booming out and anybody with normal hearing would be would be deaf who's to say again it's back to this normal thing who's to say where normal yeah. goes who's to say that it's not the autistic person who's normal and everybody else that has to blast everything out at really loud volume just for example it's just it's just that perspective so and, and what is the um what's the advantage of having heightened senses it's that you've got more perception it's got you you can perceive things that other people can't see and that's not only on the level of the, what we think of as the five physical senses i feel it's very much on a uh, an emotional level as well yeah and very much on a perceptual level so um the physical senses are one thing and they can be you know depending on people's level of sensitivity combined with the environment around them that can be that can be a real a, a real issue yeah but for many autistic people uh an even bigger issue is the the sensitivity on the emotional level the sense and that ability to perceive 
other people's emotions just to perceive it in it on its own is yeah. is is huge because you know I, I there's no science behind this as far as i know but i i have a sense that a lot of autistic people are also empathic in the sense of actually tuning into and experiencing other people's emotions as if they're their own i've had this through my life that you know i've had an enormous change in my in my emotional condition i have no idea why um and it took me decades to work out that it's it's due to the people around me because i it's not like i think oh it's that person who's mm. feeling this it's not like that it's like something yeah. happens in me and i don't know where it comes from so there's that there's that side of the um that side of it as well yeah well it's an interesting well i i love that perspective and understanding and i think you you know thank you for for bringing that to to my you know to, to to my this conversation because i i don't understand it as much you know and i've said that to you very clearly you know we had a diagnosis at 17 and i i'm still trying to wrap my head around what that means and how that works and i think there's a whole you know a whole host of things that i just don't understand about it so you know i think that's so important and, and that thing about the empath you know we talk a lot in the mental health world of you know the best conversations are just connecting with empathy you know and, and and imagining sort of this world where empathy is a wonderful powerful gift that people have but obviously it's it can sometimes come with its own um challenges if you're if you're really taking on all those negative feelings yeah, well when people talk about how great empathy is it's almost like it's great they're thinking it's great if you've got full control over it yeah you can be empathic yeah. when you want to but if you're empathic it's there all the time it's whether you want on. to or not you want a quiet day yeah you don't get it because you're influenced by everyone you come into contact with yeah it's it I, and you know what as you're saying that i'm thinking of my daughter and i'm thinking about the journey she's on and and how in the environment she's in you know and, and i talk very openly about you know her her journey and the fact she's been in the hospital for so long it's it's just she is surrounded by emotions all day long every day you know and, and not just her own she struggles with her own but she's surrounded by the other um people that are you know in, in the in the facilities that she's li living in at the moment and i can i can't even comprehend how that must feel for her to be honest with you yes uh yeah that's actually yeah i find that really quite surprising but you know not not that well i'm not i'm not surprised but i'm surprised thinking about it now and and considering that as a as a big part of what she's going through right now so it's impactful yeah 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 definitely it's yeah it's opened my eyes thank you guy thank you guy um so you know i you, you've stopped me in my tracks for a moment there because uh, but but that's not a bad thing by the way you know and 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 that's more because i'm reflecting now on the reality of what's going on with my daughter and and like i say i don't have all the understanding and education awareness around it and and i guess how do you work with families how do you work with families through the charity that you've set up because i know obviously there's a lot of focus and emphasis on the the person that you know has a diagnosis or potential diagnosis but there's obviously the community, the family, and I, I want to support my daughter as best as I can, like you did with your son, you know, how do I do that? Or, or what would you work with? And how would you work with a family? So yeah, it's, it's the work is very family based. So it's, yeah. it's very, very much about about, it's as much about the family as a child, because otherwise, it's like, there's the implication that it's the child who's got the problem, because yeah. the child is autistic. And, and yeah. that's not how it is. It's, it's a problem of communication between the two. So what we do is we, uh, we work with very, very young children, um, or families with very, very young autistic children up to the age of four, so uh, three or below. Yeah. And um, basically, we it, it's a multidisciplinary service that we do. We send a, um, a child psychotherapist and an occupational therapist to the family home. 
they occasionally they visit together usually they visit separately but they work very closely behind the scenes to make sure that they're they're working in tandem to develop the child's um you know um to help the child with their development and also to help the family with their ability to understand the child to understand what the child uh, needs what the child's communication is trying to indicate and to respond in ways that make the child feel god i'm understood here uh, this this person understands me i can trust them um and it just develops really strong bonds of, of understanding within the family and it can really transform a child from being someone who's constantly uh anxious constantly melting down because everything seems unmanageable to a child that has a level of of strength of um of confidence and of trust um so that you know I, I always think of it as as you you sort of free the child up so that they can use their resources to focus on their own natural development in their own way, yeah. rather than spending all of their resources dealing with frustration and accumulating trauma that's going to knock them back in the future. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think that's such such a wonderful way and approach to do it. And, you know, if only we'd have had those tools early, that would have been, you know, a wonderful thing for us to be able to adapt and to, to work with 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 our daughter. And and, you know, and I'm sure there are many, many families out there and people listening to this as well who who just wish that that was, uh, a, a, you know, something that was that was embedded early. And it's so difficult. How, so how far and wide do you reach with your charity? Do you do you have a specific geographical location? Do you go? We're, we're at the very early stages. It's, yeah. a, it's a fairly new charity. Um, we've just launched our first um set of services we did we wanted to do it properly so we've yeah. we've had it um you know we've had the, the actual service created for us by uh, norland college which is an early years specialist um institution okay. so it's you know it's all it's got a, uh, a framework and you know it's it's, it's a very <laughs> um you know credible service yeah. now um we're actually working only in two areas to begin with one is colchester okay um, and one is oxford and the areas around those so there'll be parts of yeah, uh, Buckinghamshire, you know, parts of Suffolk that we can reach as well. Amazing. Aspirations for it? What would you like to do with it? Oh, aspirations are that we'd like to uh, make it uh, nationwide. Eventually it'll take time, but to get to it to be nationwide. Yep. Um, our ultimate as aspiration is that we want to, you know, I mentioned the centre that we went to in Israel. Yeah. We'd like to bring our own version of that centre to the UK. Wow. Um, you know, we've talked with the centre in Israel. They're, they're fully behind this. It's just that we need to grow as a charity to the size and scale uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, and that, and that's going to take a lot of um, effort and energy and oh, yeah. and, and uh, some of that money stuff, I guess, as well, right? So it's all all driven by the money. But I, you know, it sounds absolutely fascinating, and I think I think there is a. Oh, you know, I see it talking to other family members, you know, to other families, not just my own family, but you know, talking to other people out there, other parents. There, there's such a. Uh, a reality right now of, of challenges for young people you know and at all ages you know so all of all of the children and you look at the mental health statistics and you know there's some really scary stuff going on out there you know most mental illnesses will develop before the age of 14 you know and and what's it the numbers three three quarters of all mental illness develops in childhood you know so up into adolescence as well but it's a scary reality as well then overlaying things like neurodiversity you know I I still think there is a huge connection point that's being missed by a lot of people I don't know how you feel about that you know do you feel that similar a connection point between be sorry between, between between mental health and and or mental illness and and neurodiversity and in the way that you'll see it 
because you mentioned anxiety with your son yeah you know I see that with my daughter I see that with other children so, so the way I think about it is that um you know I, I sort of mentioning this a bit before hmm. with autism and you know I'm I'm not I, I don't have any expertise in, in in a lot of other um conditions but I I think of this as quite a universal thing although I might be wrong um that certainly with autism anxiety is not an inherent part of autism hmm. I, you know, people think of, uh, you know, uh, autistic people, Auti autism equals anxiety. It doesn't. Okay. The anxiety doesn't come from autism. The anxiety comes from the autistic person being misunderstood um, and, and responded to in ways that frustrate them, that make them feel unheard, make them feel unvalued. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think you'll find an autistic adult anywhere that you can interview that hasn't been through a lifetime of being misunderstood. And it's probably still happening to them um so there's that accumulated trauma that's the anxiety it's not it's not nothing to do with autism in the same way as somebody who's not autistic if they went to an environment where they were feeling constantly misunderstood constantly devalued constantly unheard where there's constant aggression towards them in certain situations they would end up as extremely anxious as well it's not the it's not autism that leads to anxiety non-autistic people most of them tend not to have that experience, although anxiety is growing in, in lots of other groups as well. Yeah. Um, uh, because the way that the world is structured, the is in there is comfortable for them. You know, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's the non-autistic type that has that has created the world and the culture around. Mm. So, although there is a lot of anxiety and there are a lot of people who are devalued because of who they are. Yeah. But. Um, you know that there is a group which you would call the norm not because they are normal but because they are dominant um who uh who the world is, is set up for so they're not going to feel that anxiety but they would if they were in a different type of situation is it, yeah incredible I, i'm fascinated listening to you because i i think i think i think you you know we we don't necessarily see things exactly the same which is perfect by the way because we should never see things exactly the same that's that's the beauty of life and and i i just feel so much more aware because of the conversation this conversation if that makes sense and i and i and i genuinely i'm so thankful for this conversation by the way guy i really am because i didn't know where we were going to go with it and i didn't know what we were going to cover but I, did I. <laughs> i'll tell you i'll tell you what that's sometimes the beautiful thing of life right we just have to ride with it and see where we head and i think what you're sharing and saying is so true and and again it's just opening my eyes and enlightening me around you know the fact that the world is set up for you know the the majority of people who we think it's set up for and and we don't always contemplate and think about the alternatives and how other people might experience that journey of life so it's it's incredible honestly um we've got a few more minutes and and i do just want to make sure we sort of cover off in terms of heartful healing as well and sort of linking into that because i know that's obviously your your day job you've got the charity which i'm sure just takes up a lot of your time and energy as well um but heartful healing can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with with your day job with the other piece yeah, it's energy healing. So it sounds a bit weird for people who haven't come across anything like this before. Yeah. But essentially, people come to me um, with whatever issue they have. It might be a mental health issue. It might be something totally different. It might be physical pain. It might be uh, a relationship issue. It might be sort of a habit that they can't change or something like that. It might be they're stuck in some area of their life. It might be a lack of confidence. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, in a sense. Um, I work about work with it in the same way in that I make um, this is the part that seems weird for people 
but you know if, if you if you can if you can accept this part at least it'll it'll make sense i make an, an unconscious uh, I, I make a connection with a subconscious mind and through that i'm able to ask it yes or no questions and i will use those to understand what are the imbalances in their body what are the energetic yeah. blocks in their system and often it's repressed emotions and things like this which are stopping them from having the sort of life that they want to have so we could focus it you know they've got pain in their neck it's like how would what imbalances are contributing to this pain in the neck what do we need to release in order for that neck to to feel better and we go through it systematically and um with any luck their life changes and, and with physical pain actually it's, it's, it's a really good one because um i'd say in 60 to 80 percent of cases you get a significant reduction in the pain during the first working session itself you sort of feel you see the reduction by the end sometimes it's more complicated where it tends not to work is where there's where there's um great physical degeneration it's like i've had a sure. few uh elderly women with with knee issues where the muscles all degenerated the bones are scraping and there's not yeah, a lot you yeah. can do then because because the the actual physical matter is is destroyed almost yeah but um you know where there's still that capacity for the body to recover and the body has an enormous capacity to yeah. heal itself uh, that's that's where we can um because all we're doing is removing the blocks to let the body heal itself that's it wow I, th I, th I think that sounds fascinating i've never really sort of again it's another thing i would never yeah. really considered or looked into you know and um so incredible so i will drop the links into your your workings around sort of heartful fear uh, heart i can't say the word sorry it's heartful not healing. Heartful healing yeah it's, it's too many h's in there heartfulhealing.co.uk it's easy it's easy there we go so i'll put that in the description to this episode as well for everybody out there but um it's incredible the stuff you're doing guy i really do appreciate everything about you and and, and your journey and and your stories and and, you know, the, the, the TEDx that you've delivered, which, again, I'll, I'll share that with everybody. Um, but as I always do with this, I always like to leave, you know, with with some final thoughts from you, you know, oh, gosh. about what you want. Don't worry, just go with whatever you feel comes naturally. Um, but any thoughts, you know, just throwing out there any messages to people about, you know, the journey of autism or the whatever you want to share. So I'll, I'll leave that with you just for a moment. I'm afraid I'm going to have to pass on that. I'm not very All good. Right. At <laughs> final thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Impromptu final thoughts. A, a favourite quote, Guy? Have you got a favourite quote that you like to live life by or a mantra of life or a philosophy of life? No. Sorry. That's all right. Don't worry. It's all good. Don't worry. It's all good. Um, but I think what's wonderful is is just your um, your understanding and awareness and, and your perspective. I genuinely, you know, I've said that many times in this conversation, but I do believe you know everybody's perspective is so valuable and, and for anybody that is listening out there you know learn more about the work that guy's doing learn more about the organization the charity albeit it might not be reaching everybody nationwide at the moment i'm sure there's learnings that everybody can take from some of that you know just i know a lot of parents out there today struggling with supporting their children for many different reasons and that's not just about the fact that they might be struggling with some of their developmental needs but but I think it's inherent upon us all as parents to learn. I think that is important. You know, our journeys with whether it's mental health, neurodiversity or the connection of both together and all the other wonderful things. It's important that we all do our do our journey of learning um, and con continue to do that, which today has been a huge lesson for me. So thank you, Guy. Thank you, Matt. It's been, uh, really, it's been really fun. It's, it's been very fun and 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 emotional. I, I had to hold it for a moment and it oh. was um, and, and it's not and it's not something that I I'm, you know, I'm ashamed of or, or worried about or feel vulnerable to, but it was just, I could feel something, especially when I was considering like my daughter's journey. And I think that's, you know, so thank you. 
welcome um, thank you for that um so there we go so we are finished for this episode i just want to wish you all the very best guy with everything that you're doing you're doing amazing work as i've always said already said you know you're an amazing human i wish you your family your son um all the very best on your journeys as well and, um, and for anybody listening if anybody does want to reach out you'll have uh, guys contact details please feel free to do so if anybody want to reach into me feel free to do that as well that's what this is all about it's about accessibility and making sure people know there's always somebody there we should never live through these challenges on our own. We should always have the right support around us. So thank you so much, Guy. It's been an absolute pleasure. I wish you all the best. Yeah.